0: Hello and welcome to the Managing Uncertainty Podcast. This is Brian Strausser, Principal and Chief Executive here at BrightPath.
1: And this is Bray Wheeler, Senior Consultant here at BrightPath.
0: And in episode 167, we're going to talk about stakeholder mapping, which sounds like the least sexy thing of all time.
1: I'm riveted already.
0: <laughs> so what we want to talk about here, because uh, we've been going through this with uh, a client over the last few weeks, is uh, is that when you're building a new process whether it's you're setting up your business continuity program for the first time or you're putting together a crisis management plan and program, or in this case, a global security operations center, a SOC, a GSOC, you have to really think about before you can build the processes, who is this thing serving? What are the inputs that are coming into this thing? And then there's the magic in the middle. That's the process you're going to build. But what's coming out of here? Like, what are the outputs that we're expecting out of this process that we're putting together?
1: Yeah, it's really important to understand who are those players and people and external partners or vendors that are having a say in what is coming in. And then also understanding what is it that they need at the end of sort of the magic in the middle, um, as you described it. So understanding holistically who are, who's your audiences, both at the front end and the back end of what it is that you're trying to accomplish.
0: And I think a good example of how important this is is an experience we went through when we worked together in our last employer where we had a GSOC, we had two GSOCs that were part of, of our team. And for the first five or so years of those GSOCs' existence, their client that called them was a middle to senior to executive level leader. So it was somebody who had come out of running a business unit and now they're running multiple business units or they were like a director, VP, senior VP, executive VP or the CEO. That's who was calling there for the first five years. Five years in, we decided that we would centralize all headquarters security operations out of these GSOCs, which meant that any headquarters employee from a non-exempt individual that had just walked in the door all the way up to the audiences we were already serving are now going to be calling in reporting security incidents and you know badge problems and a medical emergency and all this different kind of stuff. It changed how we had to think about triaging calls and answering the phone and dealing with you know, it changed the whole process of how we thought about the SOPs the team needed to work through when the phone rang or when the instant message came in.
1: Yeah. I mean it's it's those it's a fundamental sort of choice in term in the way that you set up what it is that you're kind of making. The, you know, what, what is the magic in the middle that you're doing, in this case, you know, an operations center, fundamentally changes the way that you're approaching your core business. As an operations center, are you simply waiting for people with kind of some collated knowledge of an incident, and kind of working with them to get the, apply the right resources? Or are you talking to that person that it, they're watching it happen right in front of them, and you need to get them emergency response? And you and you are going to ask it makes a and difference. And you are asking
0: totally different questions, right? Big time. I mean, we we in that situation to kind of play out that situation, we were used to for five years. Uh, talking to somebody who in almost every case was running multiple sites, right? They'd been with the org for a while, they were experienced, and they had already taken that initial call. They'd asked the triage questions, they had assessed what was going on, and they were calling to report that this thing had happened and what they were doing. And then our role was to help them. How, How can we help them through this situation? now we were getting reports from people that like their coworker, had just collapsed with a medical problem well it's a whole different set of questions that you have to start asking
1: yep and a whole different set of actions that you're taking in a much faster time frame right you know if that person's collapsed you're you're moving now in addition to talking to that person rather than sort of just slowly asking the questions and then figuring out kind of what response and kind of what your next move is from a calculated standpoint, there's some urgency and some some different steps that are being taken to your point.
0: So with that as a little bit of an example, let's talk about like on the input side of the equation, the left-hand side of this discussion where the process is in the middle, and the outputs are on the right. What are, like, let's just go with the Global Security Operations Center example. What are some questions that, you're, we're asking or that we would want, that we would want you to ask yourself as you're thinking about this kind of an exercise.
1: Yeah. I mean, some of those questions on the input front are, you really need to understand, I think back to the conversation we were just having is who, who are those people that are reporting? Where are they reporting from? Is it everybody in the organization or all locations, teams? What level are they, should they be at in order to report if any? But then also, what is it that you want them to report? So how are you arming them in advance with some of the key who, what, where, when, why, how questions that you need to know in order to effectively take action and get them the resources that they need and to understand the incident so that as an operations center on the output side, you're communicating the right information and factual information and not just guessing with some of that stuff. The other piece is how are they reporting? So what, what means are they using to get that information to you? Is it through a team's channel? Are they texting it to you? Are they putting it into some sort of software that you have? As like it creates
0: the incident or yeah, kind yeah, of ask can, those questions up front. Yeah. They can
1: jump in the app and report something. Or are they calling you or emailing all those things or all better. of the above or all of the above. That all matters in terms of how you're collecting that information and the way that you're engaging with them because you could sort of have the prompts up front if it's something that, you know, is a little bit more digital or on the phone, you're able to have that conversation.
0: There are other non, I I don't know if non-human is the right term, but there's other kinds of inputs into a GSOC processor like this, right? Yep. Where it's not necessarily coming from a person picking up a phone or sending a message or or um, you know, texting or, or or sending an email. There's other ways that there's other inputs into your process. What what are some of those things?
1: Yeah, some of those more automated features, the consistent pieces that you're looking at. So those things, you know, particularly in an operation center, you're looking at weather, you're looking at traveler information, or maybe it's flight information if you have corporate jets or lease jets or things like that. You're looking at Intel sources. You're looking at news media. You're looking at internal resources like alarms, cameras, access control features, other software. You know, if you're a NOC, a network operations center, you're still going through this exercise, but what are those pieces within, you know, your technology and your infrastructure that you're looking at? Where are those alarms that you've set up internally? What are those... What are those things that you're subscribing to, have access to, or have automated that are also filling in some of that that information that's arming you even before somebody calls? You know, you may already have some details that allows you to ask better questions when somebody does call in. Or you're better informing sort of the conversation as you're putting together that output. You know, that the magic in the middle. You're combining all of those things to have an, sort of an informed output from a communication standpoint
0: the knock example is a probably a really good uh example of where most of their response most of their process about monitoring systems it systems technology systems are going to be driven by their alerting it's going to be driven by automation where whether they're using synthetic testing or just basic metric data about it systems in theory they're they're seeing these leading indicators of a problem, and they're reacting to it before anybody even notifies them. A human notifies them. Correct. They're seeing the information come at them before they get to that point.
1: Yep, it's it's that combination. To your point of that leading indicator versus the real time sort of response to something. Mm-hmm. The the nine one one call metaphor. Um, you know, and your organizations may have sort of an internal kind of an emergency number. But it's important, you know, regardless of whether that's the case, it gets back to what are those ways that you're asking them to reach out and what is that information you're looking for? And then also how are you setting up sort of your your internal or your automated, you know, inputs that are coming in in order to make that the magic in the middle.
0: Anything else on the input side before we cross over?
1: before we cross over to the outputs? No. Nope. So
0: we've mapped the inputs. And I I meant to bring up too, I I think the other thing about the inputs is it raises a lot of other questions as you work through this conversation, right? So for example, um, in the example where we're, or in the the recent case where we're working through this with a client, one of the questions that we brought up about They think their primary method of communication is going to be email. They think most things are going to be reported via email or phone. It leads us immediately to a couple of questions. Well, what is the phone system going to look like in your GSOC, right? So we think about an IVR to pick up some queuing where executives might have a different number or an option to hit that gets them through the queue prioritization. How do we do kind of hunt groups to an available operator? So the phone queuing becomes part of that. But also, email becomes a part of that, right? Rather than just trying to manage this through a distribution list that goes to 20 people, we always recommend we at least get to a shared inbox. But there's also now service software that when you send that email, it goes into a ticketing system of some type, even a lightweight ticketing system. And then you're able to do some things with that where you have canned responses and you have work queues and. Different things that can be put into place to manage that and track and make sure you never lose anything, but also report metrics back.
1: Well, and the other piece too is as you get into the sort of more dynamic elements of that, where you're sending out those messages, and those messages have the ability to for the for the person receiving that to then respond, that makes a huge difference in terms of, hey, we're aware of this incident, we're letting you know. Well, if those people are able to respond back, you might get 40 people now giving you more detail on what exactly is happening, which may conflict, which may confirm, which may present other resource challenges or needs that weren't originally talked about or shared because they haven't necessarily bubbled up or those connections haven't been made. So it's important, I, I think you. it's an entirely valid point on this input side is, understand going through this exercise really starts to get you into the nuances of things that are really important with how you stand up your SOPs how you think about your processes what what the team is expecting to do versus what they're going to do in reality and it makes a huge difference in understanding those things
0: so on the other side we've we've mapped the inputs we've talked about tools or other puzzles we need to solve we've got the middle we're going to build. How does the thing actually work? The SOPs. The SOPs or, or your framework, your documented processes, standards or what have you. On the other side of this, at least in the GSOC example we're talking through, there's actions that GSOC might take and there's communications that GSOC might send, right? Are probably the two biggest things. And there might be some ongoing coordination processes that are kicked off, but like a lot of the discussion we've been having around this with, in this example, has been about, okay, now that we know all of this, what are we doing with it? And who are we telling? And we kind of divided the communication into two groups. What are those kind of two ways to think about that?
1: Yeah, there's sort of two, two initial ways to think about it. And, and again, it depends on the organization, the intent, the way that you want to best arm you know, the organization or the team that's impacted, but really the kind of the two fundamental pieces are who are your consistent audiences? Who are those people that are going to know about everything? And that's likely sort of the GSOC's leadership. Maybe it's sort of up into, you know, the global security leadership to a certain extent. It might be your crisis management team so that they are aware of sort of everything that's percolating out there. Probably not your senior executives so that you're not inundating them. But in some cases that might be what's needed, but there's sort of that consistent audience who are the the ones that are on every sort of alert or incident recap summary that you're sending. And then the other one is sort of the dynamic list. Who are those people most closely impacted by this situation? If it's a, you know, taking a retail example, if it's a store somewhere what is that store who in that store leadership chain needs to know and outlining what that looks like, who are then the other operational partners in the organization that need to know that that store has had an issue and it might vary between incidents. So a fire might elicit a particular set of folks. It's probably the, again, the store leadership team that you've defined, but it might be facilities, or if it's a computer software piece, facilities might not care, but you're telling the information technology team. So outlining sort of what that dynamic group looks like and getting some sort of set processes allows you to kind of arm yourself in terms of finding efficiencies. So establishing distribution lists or different rosters that you can just sort of plug and play, and then allow you to sort of fill in the details as the incident unfolds and You can be prescriptive around who those people are, but those are sort of the two camps. And then as things probably escalate, you're adding layers of folks into if it's a severity two, okay, now these people also need to know. And that might include your leadership team now to let them know that, hey, we got a crisis and we're likely activating. So just having that forethought to really understand who those audience stakeholders are, the output stakeholders, is really important because it makes a difference in terms of, again, the operational challenges, but also making sure that you're delivering on that situational awareness within the organization and that notification. And so nobody's hearing different stories from different places. You've established that this is the consistent way in which you're going to find out and at the level at which you're going to find out.
0: The The idea of when we have these conversations with teams, uh, particularly around the crisis communication in this case, internally to the organization about things that are happening and updates through the crisis management process, coming from a GSOC or something similar. I think uh, security professionals are almost always kind of shocked to have to think about not just the tactical communication of I gotta tell people to respond to this, I need you know the fire people to deal with the fire, I need to you know evacuate the building and those are all important life safety things. But if you really want to set up your GSOC as a credible single source of truth in the organization, you have to tell the broader story around the thing that is happening and keep people informed along the way. That's how you stop the swirl. Stop the swirl. Stop the swirl. Stop the swirl. And you you set that up as having a clear, centralized place of communication.
1: Yeah, that's a. I mean, it's a really good point in terms of the swirl portion because having those having that swirl or having that sort of the unknowns of a known issue, uh, apparently to quote Rumsfeld, uh, really allows you to sort of contain and manage expectations around something, but also eliminate some of those cascading consequences that often happen with the swirl and the challenges and the confusion that come with it, which is really in service to the central point of preparing the organization to respond effectively So not only is it kind of containing that swirl, it's also setting expectations with those teams that, Hey, look, you, your team, your function may have to pause what it is that they're doing because we just had this happen. Mm -hmm. And guess what? We've already pre-identified you as having a really crucial stake in returning us to business as normal. Mm -hmm. And so you need to tell who you need to tell and prepare your team the way that they need to be prepared to start taking action.
0: And we, we encourage going through this process when you're building things like this before you start to craft the thing. Yes. Right. So I, I think the, the GSOC example is a good example of this where um, often what we find when we start helping clients think through their GSOC strategy or enhance their GSOC strategy, they want to get right into the, I need to build an SOP for a medical emergency and that's the most important thing. Yep. And then we start asking questions like, okay, so who's reporting this to you? And how do you find out? And what are the methods by which you find out? And we always have to back up to who's who's reporting? who's What are they reporting? What kinds of incidents are they reporting? And you got to really work through the process we outlined here. And then you can get to the real substance, which is creating those SOPs or protocols, whatever you want to call them.
1: Because it really is the core business. I mean, if you're standing up your business or running a business, you have to understand who is, who are my clients and my customers, who are my vendors and my third-party support people, and who in the organization also needs to know as things evolve in order to deliver back to the client and customer. And so having that under understanding of all those different pieces allows you to understand the why Are we doing this why does this operation center exist why are we doing the things that we're doing and that sort of crystallizes what the core services and the core processes of what's happening because at the end of the day understanding all of this if everything has sort of been turned upside down if a person is sitting in front of a phone that's connected to other people in the key people in the organization, you can deliver on what it is that you're doing. You don't Mm -hmm. need any of the other stuff. You understand that the core mission of what it is that we're trying to do. All I need is a, all I need is a phone and probably a place to scribble some notes.
0: So start with the strategy, start with the understanding the inputs and outputs before you get into the detail of building the process. That's it for this edition of the managing uncertainty podcast. We'll be back next week with another new episode. Be well.